we should probably do some follow up. Are we doing that? I don't think we have any. Well, see, what do we have in there? I wanted to uh, apologize that I said I would watch Fight Club again, and I haven't watched it again yet. I did start the game uh, that night, and uh, I'm very interested. I have no idea where it's going, and I'm loving that. You I'm, started? How does how does this work? This whole idea of starting a movie. So you sit down to watch a movie. You do or you do or don't think you have two hours of time to watch the movie when you start it. Um, I could have two hours, but you know, sometimes I get sleepy. I, I forget to take my sleeping pill. I take it too late. <laughs> I, I totally ate the booger tonight. I completely forgot to take my sleeping pill before I came here. So now the whole night. So I sh- you know what? I might watch it tonight now. I'll be up all night. Uh, that's probably for a different yeah, that, sh- different that show. That is an alien concept to me. Sitting down to watch a movie and not finishing watching the movie. Kind of like when when you and uh, Roderick were talking about, uh, well, maybe it wasn't him. We're talking about like how do you listen to music? Who are you talking to about? Yeah, that? yeah, no, it's Rod- Roderick. Like when he would play me his um, not demos, but like early, yeah, demos, demos for tracks. I'd sit there and be skipping around, you know, and he'd just be sitting there aghast. It was like I was juggling his children or something. He's like, "What are you doing? Just sit here. You sit here quietly with your eyes closed and you listen." And I'm, I'm just, I've always been that guy where I bring home my album. Back in the day, I drop it on the turntable and I just start. I drop the needle on and listen to the first ten seconds of every song before I do anything else. That seems like not the way you work. No, especially with movies. Like it's a narrative. Like how can you just bail in the middle? Yeah, you're right. I'm up to. Uh, this isn't too spoilery. I'm up to Michael Douglas and the woman go into the parking garage and the lights go out. Maybe you should just start from the beginning. <laughs> Next time you sit down, it's not that long. You know what? You're like my Philip Seymour Hoffman in The Master. <laughs> I haven't watched that. I've got that on my TiVo. I haven't watched it. I thought it would, figured it would be depressing. It is. It's um, Joaquin Phoenix. Is that his name? He's yep. um he's really really good, which means he's really really sad. But yeah. uh, as usual, PSH is fantastic. Do, do you like that guy's movies? What's that guy's name? That's the Boogie Nights guy, right? Uh, he has three names. Uh, Paul Thomas Anderson. Yes. What are his other movies? Uh, I get him confused with the other guy with the very similar name. What is the other guy with the similar name? Oh, uh, this is a director. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of three name people. I think they run out of names in the guild. But he did um, he did Boogie Nights. He did Snecticky yep. New York in no particular order. He, he did uh, Magnolia. Yep. Um, which is one that that's a nut I t- intend to crack someday. I had that soundtrack yep. when it came. Have out. you not watched it? No, it's the feelings amongst my friends are so. I feel like that's maybe one of the most divisive movies I know of. I don't know. Well, I guess I can kind of see why it's divisive, but I. I, I really like Magnolia. That was, I think, my introduction to his work, and it I thought it was great. I can't, but it's not the type of movie you'd recommend for just uh, like average <laughs> casual moviegoers. It's definitely of a particular style. Yeah, uh, and it's one of those movies where from scene to from scene to scene, I'm enthralled by it. It's it's a movie based around Amy Mann songs, which I already like, right? Mm-hmm. But if you step back and look at the whole movie, you're like. Nah, well, yeah, that was a thing. But every scene, it just it has me riveted. So I, I, I'm a Magnolia supporter, although I'm not going to defend it as a giant cohesive story. Um, Schenectady, New York, if I'm even pronouncing that correctly. Synecdoche. Synecdoche. It's like the like. opposite of metonymy. Yeah, that doesn't help with the pronunciation. Okay. Um, that movie is 
very profoundly affecting, I think, to a certain person and other people. It is totally impenetrable. Are you going to reveal which side you're on? You may, I think you might know how I feel. Oh, yeah, no, I, I love it. I think it's amazing. I think it's terrifying. I think it is, it, it definitely speaks to me. Yeah. In a way that makes me not want to watch it again because it's terrifying. I've seen it like maybe three times. Oh yeah, but it's I can imagine it also being totally lost to me. It is not. It's not as broadly entertaining as I think Magnolia can be, and that's saying something because Magnolia is pretty narrow. I'll give Magnolia a spin, but you know, Synecdoche, New York. We talked last week during our uh, our sports throwdown about how you know my canonical example always is the Smiths. Like I know that I like the Smiths, the band, a lot more than a lot of people. There are people who talk about divisive. There are people who like is this, the Smiths is their favorite band, and it's everybody else. And you know, people like that were just kind of like, well, I get it. I get why you don't like it. Like for me, that's in some ways how I feel about Synecdoche, New York. There are very, very few movies that I find. I like that word to use, affecting, very affecting, but also, I mean, just bone chilling to me how much certain scenes and tropes in that movie make me think about my interior world to where I was like, wow, I, that, this is me. And I didn't even realize it was me. Like the whole like dropping years thing is unexpectedly like very moving to me, you know, like where you turn around and suddenly like, no, no, that's, that was years ago. And you're like, what, you know? And the little kid buttoning up the, zipping up the jacket. It's like, now, We're not going to talk about anime today, but I like, this is related to some anime that I also like. I like movies that play with your sense of knowing what is real and what is the movie and what is life and what is supposed to be literal and what is supposed to be figurative or an allegory or whatever. And it just messes you with you the whole way through. Not going towards a goal of like, haha, now you know what was really happening, but just like as part of the, the story that messing with you is putting you in the place of the person. Like, is this, I was about to say, is this real life or is this fantasy? I'm not going to do that. Um, <laughs> is like, I, I like messing with storytelling in that way. Um, and uh, that movie that, whose name I can't pronounce definitely does that. Uh, and the other movie that comes to mind, this may sound strange in the, in the same way that like someone can watch that movie and get nothing from it. And I can watch it. And Some can, people are mad at that movie, like super mad at that movie. Yeah, because then you're like, who made this? It is not entertaining me, and I think it's stupid, and I feel nothing, and it was really boring, and it's super long. This seems like a practical joke, right? I totally see that. But uh, the other movie that I think has sort of things that speak to certain people and say nothing to anyone else, uh, the one that comes to mind is Spike Jones's Where the Wild Things Are, which sounds crazy because it was a kid's movie kind of. Um, and based on a kid's book. And if you watch it, it's like, oh, I see they kind of did where the wild things are. But there is an underlying something there that definitely spoke to me and maybe not to anyone else who watched the movie. I'm assuming it was put there by the director because it's not really there in the children's book. But... Isn't, it, isn't it kind of hopelessly melancholy? I it's not really because it is kind of based around the children's book. And it's, it, it is, it is kind of, maybe that's the, maybe that's the, the joining thing between them. But I, I felt like that where the wild things are uh, reminded me of the experience of being a kid and the New York movie is what we're going to call it now. Like the Scottish play um, <laughs> <laughs> reminded me of, uh, you know, what it's like to be an adult. Mm-hmm. I, I don't even know how to phrase this. I want to put this in for future topics, but um it's um, I don't know. It's 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 so strange to me. Like, there's some classic movies that I love. Some classic movies where I'm like, this is why? Why is this a classic movie? And then there's just these. I think there's a certain kind of like. I, I guess the closest phrase we have for it is a cult movie. There's certain kinds of movies where like, 
Like, why do I like The Big Lebowski so much? I'm really not sure. I have, I, I mean, it sounds like I've tried to talk it up in my mind to be bigger than it is, but something about that movie just gets me. I don't know, I don't know what it is about it. But in the case of the New York film, uh, it also, it's got elements of, like, do you ever read any, like, Marquez or any, like, uh, you know, uh, Borges? Like, you know, magical realism, kind of? Yep, Like, yep. you've got a world where pretty much everything is the way things happen, and then there's an unironic, impossible thing that happens in it. And, like, I mean, here's one, ex- I mean, one example. If you, even if you set aside all the wackadoodle, like, stagecraft stuff of filming a ongoing play about your life as you're living it. Oh my God. All the index cards. The, uh, the, the part where like, yeah, they go over to what's her name's house. The lady from the Tom Cruise movie. And it's like her, she's just bought this house and the house is smoldering. Yeah. Everything's on fire in the background, but it's, it's, it's smoldering is the beautiful part. Like it's, you're in a house that's constantly a little bit on fire. So it isn't like, it isn't like a, like a Frida Kahlo painting of somebody who is strangely serene inside of a burning building. It's just, it's just burning a little bit all the time, which makes it so much weirder. And, you know, I could see somebody looking at that and going, Oh, come on. Her house is, she bought a smoldering house. And it's like, yeah, she bought a smoldering house. And like that kind of thing, you know, that, that's going to be very divisive. People want to know what the heck the movie is about and what it's trying to say. And any kind of confusion like that, it reads as like damage. Like this movie is broken. It doesn't even know how to tell a story in right. a straightforward manner. It doesn't even know how to sell a fantastical, it, like the thing challenges you to like, Look, figuring out what's going on is not the point. Figuring out, I mean, in a lot of ways, it's a lot like the movie we both uh, love, Totoro, like, or my interpretation of Totoro anyway. Mm-hmm. It's not important to figure out whether Totoro is real. Like, that's missing the point. It's not important to figure out, so am I supposed to leave this is all in his head? Is it all in my head? Is he remembering things? Is the play going on in the building? How big is this building? Is it really as big like they say, or is it small? Or like, what is real? What is not? Who's alive? Who's dead? What year is it? Uh, all those questions are not the point of the movie, and if you try to answer them, you will ruin the movie for yourself, and it will not be no good. And, and I mean, I think it's, um, I think it, it uses what I would have to call dream logic, where you know it's it's all presented, and that's part of what makes magical realism so wonderful. Like if you read, you know, Hundred Years of Solitude, one of my favorite books, um, the idea that these events are just presented like there's a discussion about like why the you know this i think isn't there a point when she's looking at the house with a real estate agent and they like talk about the fact that it's a little bit on fire it isn't like people don't see that people are you're coughing and stuff while you're in the house or the fact that the real estate the again the person who's showing him the uh the big look the hanger that could be used you know for a play and it's all just very matter of fact you know it's you're not supposed to it's funny because it's incongruous but that incongruity is, is so much like a dream in some ways. Yeah, it makes sense. It, it's taken seriously, and it all makes sense in the same way that your dreams make sense to you when you're in them, and you think back at them, you're like, well, that makes no sense. But when you're in them, your feelings that you have related to them are just as real as anything. That's that's what the movie is. like. A, you know, you sh- you're, They're trying to evoke those feelings while you watch it, and they should feel real while you're watching it, even though what you're seeing is ridiculous. And that's, that's a terrific point, because... Um, one reason it's so frustrating to hear people tell their dreams is when, when someone is describing or narrating a dream to you, they feel like they're telling you a story, like a silly story that's funny, and they get that it's silly and funny. The, the thing that's impossible is the, the thing that makes the dream profound, which is the feeling of the dream, which is impossible that's the whole point. It's like it's impossible to explain the feeling of a dream. And it's the feeling of the dream that matters. I dream about 
I dream about schools, malls, and air travel almost every night of my life. And I would never tell people those dreams because they do not make a lick of sense. Oh, I was on a dark ride. It was kind of like it was inside the Ringling Museum. Um, and I had to get out of the airport in Paris, except it was also my mom's house. Who cares? But for me, I cared. I was there. I lived it. You know what I mean? And it's rare to find a movie that is not just trying to go booga booga dream sequence that, you know, pulls that off as well as that. Well, so say you have a dream and you have all these feelings and you want to convey those feelings to another person. That's maybe not literally, but uh, effectively what everybody who writes fiction or makes movie is doing. They're taking feelings, not maybe not from their dreams, but from their lives. And if they just told you, they can't just tell you what happened to them. Right. They have to, they're trying to uh, evoke a certain feeling in the audience, a feeling that perhaps they've had or can at least relate to. And you can't just do that in a straightforward way. You have to actually make art to do that, right? Yeah. And so, you know, that's that's why the New York movie is a snake eating its tail because of the whole play inside the thing, inside the, oh, yeah. Um, Philip Seymour Hoffman, The Master... Uh, so I'll watch. I'll watch the rest of the game. I, I'm I'm intrigued. Or all of the game. I'll watch all of the two. game. I That's... didn't read your big S Z Z book. Where the heck did it go? It's somewhere around here. Oh no, you're not all the game. But I did watch your wrestling thing. Okay, I want. I definitely want to go back to that. Can, can I spoil a little bit why I thought you might be interested in the book? I thought you were going to say why I might be interested in the wrestling, but we know the answer to that one. Oh my god, I hope you loved it. Thumbtacks. Thumb. Because t- <laughs> you're thinking. Because okay, first of all, okay, let's come back to this. But all I want to say is the reason I, if I remember S Z correctly. Uh, and I probably don't. Um, I was reading it in a 19th century, 19th century French literature class. Um, great class. So great. And of course, you know, that was written, whatever, in the 50s or 60s. But it's about uh, Saracine. So are you, are you familiar with the story of Saracine? So basically, it's a book that's it's a semiotic treatment of this Balzac story called Saracine about a, someone who's interestingly gendered. And I thought you might find that interesting because it gets into a lot of stuff that seems like it's on your mind. And of course, this was written a long time ago. And it's probably a lot more fun to read in French because the French love to have, do crazy things with, you know, you know, difference and difference and all that kind of stuff. But you, you're under no obligation to read it. I just I wanted to give you a gift. And uh, I, I thought you, it might be fun for you to thumb through. Yeah, well, like I said, I'll put it on my shelf and look smart. Yeah, attaboy. I, I, I did look through it and the writing was, you know, I didn't. Yeah, it, the, the writing was not inviting. It's no Larry Wall. Yeah. Yeah. I almost took a photo of a camel and sent it to you the other day, but I thought it'd be creepy. I was at a zoo picking up my kid. They got a statue of a camel. I thought it'd be funny if I, if I took a picture of a camel statue and sent it to you and said, thinking of you. And then I realized, like, I'm a creepy guy walking around with holes in his pants taking pictures of kids on camels. And that's, you know. <laughs> you do have holes in your pants. We were noticing that at, uh, when we saw you in San Francisco recently. I only had one hole in my pants. The pants well, I was that- wearing... Is that the same hole in every pair of pants you oh, have? Oh, Jesus in the same Christ. Spot? Oh, my God. Oh, no. Oh, oh, my oh, wait, friend. Wait, wait, wait. Do, do you just on one pair of pants? Let's get to it here. <sighs> I remember, have I said too much? Um, I'm about I'm about five pounds, uh, eight pounds over my target weight right now, so I tend to wear my fat pants. I was wearing my fat pants when you saw me, and I think you saw my iPhone hole. Did you see a small? Yep. Uh, oh, I my did. God. That's you what told, it was. You noticed yep. that? Oh, yeah. No, we, we. it was much discussed. Oh, my God. This is so embarrassing. I don't think about how I look. I've got to stop this. People pay a lot of money for pants with those holes in them. No, we had, uh, just real talk, uh, last night we had, uh, let's call it, uh, what do you call it when, oh, let's call it an Ohio intervention. We had an Ohio intervention at my house last night. So like, you know, an intervention, you say to somebody, uh, hey, here's here's 20 of your former friends and here's how you've harmed them with your alcohol or whatever. We had a much more passive aggressive intervention on me last night with my wife and my daughter. We're watching Top Chef, we're enjoying the evening and, and, uh, 
Madeline, my wife goes, uh, so uh, Ellie, you think we should uh, get Daddy some new pants for Father's Day? And she's like, oh yeah, you should give me those. I'll cut it up and make it into other clothes. And I was like, well, what, are you, what are you talking about? And they just kind of giggled amongst themselves. But, you know, it was super passive aggressive, but I'm wearing them now, but it'll probably be one of the last times. I think these are going to be one of those things. These are going to disappear. They're just going to disappear one day. They'll be disappeared they're, by my wife. They're fine. It's a very small hole. No, one no, 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 no. Oh, dear. No, no. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm wearing my second holiest pair of pants right now. I will send you a photo. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, I gave my daughter a pair last night with a blown out crotch because I figured she can turn that into a mini skirt or something. The ones I'm wearing right now uh, have like probably nine holes, um, underwear showing holes. So I shouldn't wear those when I pick my daughter up at the zoo. So that would be uh, two mini skirts, one one out of each leg, or no? So what? <laughs> um. So I will watch the game. There's one other thing I just added to the list: environment for media consumption. Because you know people like to laugh at John Syracuse about TV stuff, but I, I would actually like to hear. You know, and this is not not tonight, but I would like to hear more about like not necessarily the nuts and bolts of your setup, unless you want to say that. But like, you know, I do stuff like I put masking tape. I've got not masking tape. But I put gaffer's tape over lights and stuff like that. It just drives me you crazy. You love gaffer's tape. I do. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I saw something on Amazon yesterday. It's this film you can get to put over like alarm clocks and stuff. I bet it's kind of unsightly. Oh, no, they sell individual little stickers. Like yeah, you can get a sizes. sheet and cut it up. Yeah. Well, no, I think I sent you a photo on my TV. I put I put gaffer's tape over like everything. I don't want to see the logo. I don't want to see any of it. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Drafts. Drafts, it's where all text starts on iPhone, iPad, and now Apple Watch. Quickly capture text, send it almost anywhere. You can learn more about Drafts right now by visiting agiletortoise.com slash drafts or just by searching for Drafts for in the App Store. Okay, guys, real talk. I got to tell you, I am thrilled by this sponsorship because I am probably the world's biggest fan and user of Drafts. I am an evangelist. I love this app. If you've ever heard me on Back to Work or Mac Power Users, you've almost certainly heard me rave at length about this app. It's easily one of the most used apps on my phone and my iPad of all time, full stop. Understand, Drafts is where I start everything that I write on iOS because with Drafts, the text always comes first. Let me paint you a word picture. You open up the Drafts app. Seems real simple, right? You just have this impossibly simple distraction-free window where you just start typing anything. Even if you don't know what you want to do with what you're typing, just get it in there. Capture it. But that's just the beginning because Drafts has an endless number of options for doing stuff with that chunk of text. It's all just a click away, automated, all from right inside the app. Some of my favorites, you take that text, you can send an email or a text message right from Drafts. You can generate a reminder on iOS, create a calendar event. Oh, this is so great. You can quickly create, prepend, or append to any of your files on Dropbox, iCloud Drive, Google Drive, Evernote. Think about this in terms of like adding things to a running list, movies to check out. It's gold. Drafts even integrates with third-party apps like Workflow, OmniFocus, and Fantastical. Yes, now you can capture tasks and appointments with zero friction just from this one app, one app to rule them all. Drafts also features support for advanced multi-step actions and JavaScript integration. To combine all these options in a single tap and more, this is bananas, you guys. All your snippets get synced and are available across your devices. Drafts even has a customizable keyboard for quickly accessing your favorite scripts and shortcuts. Please listen carefully. I can tell you in the strongest possible terms that I use, love, and endorse the living crap out of this app. And I would really love it if you would try it too. It's kind of like explaining a magic trick. I could explain the trick to you, but I really wish I could show it to you. Get this app, use it, it will change your game. 
I don't know if you can tell, but I like this app. So please go right now to agiletortoise.com slash drafts to find out more or search for Drafts 4 in the App Store. We also have a link to the uh, iTunes page right inside show notes for this episode. Drafts is just the best. Our thanks to Agile Tortoise and Drafts for making one of my all-time favorite apps and for supporting Reconcilable Differences. 1998. I, got, I apologize last week. I got the year wrong. Uh, 1998, Mankind versus The Undertaker. Mm-hmm. Helena Cell. <laughs> Helena Cell. <laughs> yep, the, the famous Greek goddess. That's right. <laughs> That's where the word Hellenic comes from. Mm-hmm. Hellenic, it, it once meant uh, eating a euro while falling from a cage. <laughs> yes, it once meant chain link fence shaped into a box. <laughs> so how, how old were you when this took place? I, I, I only saw it in the last couple of years. I was not following wrestling at that time. All right, I'm trying. I'm looking for excuses. Oh, no. Oh, man. Now, I was heavily into uh, professional wrestling, or wrestling, as some people call it, uh, in the like around the time of military school, so like those two or three years, there's a lot of that's about the right age. Yeah, well, I was right in the pocket. I mean, I was a I was a real catch because I was into pro wrestling. Uh, I was into getting into D and D. Um, I was I was into Rush. I was into a lot of the like the basic you know nerd kid stuff. And, and, and I was like to dress like a ninja and run around the neighborhood, <laughs> like when I was fourteen. Um. So that was my background. And then I'm not sure how, you know what it is? I think I mentioned last week how I've seen several, like surprisingly really good independent documentaries about pro wrestling and pro wrestlers. Uh, and I, including like this amazing one on, there's, there's anyway, I won't go into it. There's one on Owen Hart, not Owen Hart on, I can't remember. But there's, I've seen like three or four of these amazing uh, wrestling documentaries. And one of them, and several of them, that guy, Mick Foley appears. And like, you just get that like Mick Foley is first of all like one of the nicest, like most engaging, charismatic, hardworking, and super intelligent people. <laughs> like that's super intelligent, but like he's really wise. This is uh, mankind, the guy with the the leather thing on his head. And so you see him in interviews, and like you see him like being himself, and he's he's just he's engaged in the conversation, and he's just like seems like a real normal guy, but he is, I guess, pretty famous for like what he will do to himself in the service of the performance. And that's where I learned about Helen Cell. So did you watch my wrestling video that I sent you? Um, I watched the first half. First half. Didn't engage you? I was enthralled by it. Yeah. No, I started to. It looked really good. I think I had to go do something else. But I'm, no, I'm, you know what? It's, <laughs> it's going on the list. I get, all right. I'm picturing now your desk is covered with half-eaten sandwiches and half-consumed uh, cans and cups of water. Seltzer, seltzer, seltzer. Half full. But is, the basic gist is, though, that wrestling is not what you think it is, right? Mm, well, so it was, I was never into wrestling. My friends were. Uh, I didn't quite understand what the appeal was. This video explained to me what at least this person thinks the appeal of wrestling is uh, in a way that no other thing had. It goes through this big, long history, which you might know if you followed re- wrestling during that time. But it showed that what, uh, who was this? Uh, I his name. It's, uh, John, isn't it John Landis's son? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what was drawing him to wrestling was the sort of the the characters and the narrative and the wrestling was almost incidental only to drive the stories forward and to have sort of a multi-year arc of people acting out this you know play of burly men uh, over the course of his entire childhood right right well yeah and i mean uh, gosh i i i think i'm giving myself so much homework here after i take my sleeping pill uh i will watch that movie 
I also got to do some ad recordings. Um, but I will, I will watch that. Here's the thing. Like, this has been, this is the way it's always been. It's always been that pro wrestling is like a bunch of like surprisingly athletic men and some women, uh, basically, you know, putting on a performance that is pre-scripted. It's sort of like uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. It's worked out usually in beats. It's not like every single move is exactly known, but these guys, they rehearse so much. Uh, and watching them rehearse, you know, just, just you know, practice, whatever you want to call it, is, is staggering. The, the athleticism of these guys and their timing is just incredible. Um, and that's why I wasn't, I, I didn't mean to sound like I was just jabbing at you last week about like, this could be a replacement for baseball. It is, it's a big, it's kind of a, a combination of like, it's almost like combining theater and football in some ways, like, you know, with drama. So, and combined with fo- football's uh, possibly unintentional exploitation of the uh, professional participants in the sport. Oh, uh, there's this one. Uh, there's one documentary that mostly follows this guy who's kind of like the Ehrlich of wrestling in this uh, small town. He's got like an incubator, <laughs> my incubator, and he. Um, <laughs> why does that always make me laugh? <laughs> Aviato. He um, and he's this real, real squirrely guy that has a wrestling school. You come in, you pay your $500 or whatever it is. You do this training. Anyway, long story short, like, all I'm trying to get at is like when I was, when I was coming up and watching this stuff, it was really much more like the 50s than the, than the 90s, right? It was still much more this tradition of localized, like regional wrestling things. You go to the Curtis Hickson Auditorium or whatever you go, you pay $5. It was, you know, you go to the, like, a, like a carnival or a fair and you'd see wrestling. By the time of the... I don't know what the, there's a name for this in the wrestling game, like the raw era. Like by the time of the like early nineties, wrestling was really changing and Vince McMahon uh, and some other people were making it much, much bigger, much more bombastic, you know, much more like a rock concert and, and just everything got bigger, 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 bigger. And then of course things got more like grisly and violent, but did you, uh, did, so did you, did you watch the, uh, did you watch the, the match? I did. I watched that whole video. It looked like what I remember wrestling looking like when when all my friends were into wrestling. Did did it seem not that different from any other wrestling match you'd seen? I think the other thing that helped me to appreciate wrestling besides this thing was uh, MTV had a reality show many, many years ago where uh, people who wanted to be professional wrestlers would come on the show and they, they would go into you know this little training camp and okay. they would teach them how to do all the moves. And you saw how complicated it is you know they're like stuntmen basically to do all these things in the correct way so you don't hurt yourself and don't hurt somebody else right. and it's like super hard and most of the people who came on the show could not do this worth a damn and you look then in the same way that like if you again if you've never played tennis or golf before it looks silly if you've tried to play either one of those things for an hour then you go back and look at the professionals they look like they're made of magic so now if you think wrestling yes. is like yeah whatever they're running around then you watch a bunch of normal people try to learn to do the most basic wrestling moves then you see the professionals do it yeah you, then you really appreciate what it is they're doing. To, but oh, and also, to make it look easy and to sell it, but I'm going to say unlike football or unlike some heavy contact sports, like if somebody gives you a bad hit in football, I think it's considered, you know, kind of fair game to, to get them back. Same way you might hit somebody on the other team with a ball after they've hit your guy, you know, in baseball, but you can't do that in wrestling. Like that's, <laughs> ironically enough, that's like, it's extremely unprofessional and very uncollegial to do that. You just go, well, you know, sometimes I don't want to take my hits. That's, that's part of the game. I, that part is so interesting to me because it's, oh, it's wrestling and it's fake. But then you see, okay, so spoiler here for Hell in a Cell 1998. Please go watch it if you haven't seen it. But that when he falls, what, 20 feet off the cage, that guy weighs like 300 pounds. He lands in the ring and then he turns his, do you remember this? He turns his face to the camera and his tooth is coming out of his nose. Yeah, I, I wonder, <laughs> like, so again, 
there there are beats they're hitting them was that one of them where he has to put the thing like i don't so. think i don't I, you know what i need to go and read up but i don't, I don't think it was supposed to go down obviously the thumbtacks <laughs> yeah were uh engineered ahead of time but I mean, you know, regardless no, of how you look just, at they it, they were just by the by the ring. They're oh, they just there. happen to be there. They, that's where they store them. Yeah, same same with they're right next to folding chairs. You get them from uh, Costco, sure. You get a bunch of folding chairs. You get a bunch of thumbtacks. You store them in the ring. Yeah, but, I, but I assume the thing in his nose is he's you know he's got that he puts it there. Oh, you, you think know. so? You don't think that was real? No. Huh. I'm pretty sure it's real. <laughs> well, you are a child of the wrestling era. Mm. I always want to believe. Well, I still really encourage people. But anyway, people. like that's not the impressive thing. Whatever the impre- like you said, they, they, these people did stunt falls from ridiculous heights in a barely controlled environment, like where so many things could go wrong. That's the other, the other thing I can I've seen about wrestling is about how the business is it can exploit the people. Who, you know, they just want to wrestle. Oh yeah, uh, they do get injured, and the conditions aren't very safe for them, and there there is pressure on them to be big and muscular, especially at the top level. So you've got. The, the steroids, the drug uh, abuse, the the injuries, the having to work through injuries, the you know like the ending up not being the one making the money, but having the organizers, all the same things that you know. I guess boxing is probably similar, but at least boxing, you know, this, they're they're more like exploited theater workers in in many cases, and so it's not. Uh, and I didn't see that was that uh, the Mickey Rourke movie, The Wrestler. Right, right. But also kind of in, in, implicit in what you're saying is like taking young talent and people who can stand to take a fall, you know, um, stand to take a fall, um, dangling that carrot of like basically saying, hey, you know, this is your chance. We got, you know, if you don't do this, there's 10 other guys happy to do it. So try that, you know, try this move, you know, that <laughs> could potentially cripple you. And they'll, right. and they'll do it because they want to. They want to make it to the big. And game. if you're injured, like just you know, keep working through it. Maybe you shouldn't be doing this, and you and you know, like we don't care if we burn out and destroy your body well before it's time. We'll just move on and get somebody else. Like I'm, I'm sure the business has gotten a little bit better, but like that's yeah, that's tough to watch. That's the big money machinery that grinds up everybody eventually. There's you know? a movie about Terry Funk that's amazing. I mean, Terry Funk is. I don't know if the wrestler's based on him, but it might as well be. I mean, what this guy's going through, like in his fifties. As he's not getting like big marquee shows anymore, he's having to kind of do more ham and egger stuff during that, you know, super violent period of extreme wrestling. You know, like in Japan, they've got, of course, in Japan, they've got something even more extreme that's like even super duper violenter and bloodier. But I don't know. I just, I thought that was, it's such an amazing, it's an, it's an amazing piece. Like, like, you know, if you include everything, the staging, the setup, I mean, a lot of it's pretty standard fare, but like, uh, whether I, I can't decide what's more amazing, if that was planned or if that wasn't planned. And the fact that that guy is still alive is just amazing to me. And then the thumbtacks. <laughs> and it wasn't once. It wasn't one time. He was thrown. He was like body slammed into a giant lake of thumbtacks. It's almost like a, it, it's, it's silly because it's such a letdown after he takes these two giant falls and then thumbtacks like that's like office supplies that's where you're gonna go like is that gonna be the big on i feel like the giant falls are much more impressive than it's like i don't know but he gets up and his back is covered with thumbtacks oh yeah i mean why not do a pile of legos like Like brown brown legos All right. Well, I, I appreciate you watching. I, we have a, we should get going because we have a lot to cover in the next fifty-seven minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I say we go for it. You you up for it? I'm ready. Big week. My body is ready. That's a video game reference that you don't get. Oh, uh, sorry. Uh, t- Twenty seconds to comply. Um, 
Um, I don't know. Um, so we, I think we're ready to get started on video games. And uh, is, it, is it partly timing because of the, is it E3? Is that what it's called? Yes. That, I mean, that's why it's in my mind. That's why I'm thinking about it. That's why before you, uh, before we connected on Skype, I was watching trailers. Uh, yeah, it's, it is, it's that time of year when, I mean, well, I'm thinking about it all the time, but anyway, yes, it's big week as they say. Is he, is he E3 though? I mean, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I'm officially letting down my guard. I'm not being a douche about video games. I actually want, I'm very, we talked about this on back to work today. I'm actually very open to learning about these things. This, this is a big deal, though, because this is the whatever, the CES, the Macworld, the whatever of this industry. Is this, this is when, when the big announcements get made, right? Well, there's this E3, there's the Tokyo Game Show, there's a bunch of shows around, and, and they fluctuate of, like, which one is the more important one. And E3 has had its up years and its down years. E3 has already done, like, you know, the rise and fall of Rome, like, three times. Uh, but, yeah, there are, there are a couple of big shows where the, the various uh, gaming companies coordinate their announcements. There's three big players at this point in the console game space, and they're all uh, vying with each other. It's different than like Apple or Macworld keynotes used to be, where these three companies are all want to outdo each other at the same events, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, they want to, it's not collusion, but they're all trying to like say, when are we going to announce our big things? Are we going to announce our console at the same time as the other people? Are we going to announce our exclusive games? What order do the, the press events go in? Who had the, who wins E3? Who had the best E3? Who, you know, uh, but yeah, but as someone who plays games and who plays very few of them compared to like actual real avid gamers, uh, read people without jobs or I wasn't going to say it. Both. Uh, well, yeah, this, you know, if yeah, I, I, that would be me if I was a younger man, it can't be a lifestyle though. Right. I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm practically, we'll talk about destiny in a distant future show, but that destiny is a lifestyle as well. And I'm kind of living it, but anyway, um, for those people, they play a lot of games, uh, uh, so it almost doesn't matter as much which, you know, like, they're going to play all of the major games or at least check out or rent or, uh, you know, look at all of, all of the big games and maybe a few minor ones. I only play a few games to completion a year at this point, and so I want them, I, I want to make it count. So I'm, I'm basically spending the whole year waiting for, like, this one game that I'm interested in to see what it's like, or these, this handful of games to decide which one I'm going to uh, buy and play. Um, and so, yeah, it take these type of announcements take on more importance to me because it's not like, Oh, well, you know, new games come out. I buy them. I try them. New games come out. I buy them. I try them. It's like, I got to plan my year. What, right. 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 Handful of games. Am I going to play, which is even more different than movies. Cause movies, you are not like, okay, what three movies am I going to watch in 2016? No one's thinking about that. You just, if a movie comes out, you go see it. Right. Well, um, can I ask you, uh, I'll skip over the history stuff. Can I ask you just a couple general questions to orient myself? Um, Are we skipping over your history? Because I do want to go back. Oh, to no, that. I would be happy to. But but just so I know, when you talk about the big, is it Nintendo, Microsoft, and Sony? You got it. Okay. And when you're looking at those companies, um, okay, here's another one. Like how, what do they call them, AAA games? Is that the term? That's like the, the popular games? Is that is, well? Yeah, and by the way, the company's names, that's console games. There's also PC games, and there are okay, other companies okay. in, involved in there, but we don't overcomplicate it. We're just okay, but like, yeah, for now, yeah. So, when, I mean, is it, are there some games that are just for one platform? I mean, it seems like Nintendo makes a lot of stuff that's just for Nintendo. Yeah, there, there's less of that than there used to be, but there are what they're called platform, platform exclusives. There are. Few, far fewer than of them now than there used to be because it used to be that the hardware varied, especially in the console space, much more than it does now. Uh, and I mean, eventually companies just figured out you can make more money if you sell your game to more people. <laughs> right. And so 
they have what they call timed exclusives, where it's exclusive to Platform X for a short period of time. And then, of course, there are the first-party titles that Microsoft is not going to make games for Sony's console. But like EA EA would ideally like to make games that you can play anywhere. Yes, and they do. And Ubisoft and all these other companies. Yeah, because you just make more money. I mean, like Destiny, I just mentioned, is available for six consoles, right? And then, but something like Last Guardian, is that going to be for PlayStation only? That is uh, basically a first-party title. Okay. PlayStation only. Okay. Yeah. So, but there are far fewer of them than used to be. Used to be almost all games were a single platform, um, but now that is not the case. And when you're deciding, it sounds like Nintendo, I mean, well, you tell me. Like, when you're deciding... uh, what consoles, I guess, well, let's, let's say you're going to be a person who wants to buy a console or maybe two consoles. How do you, do you decide based on what games are available? Like, are there certain personality types? How do you decide what kind of console you go with? Yeah, it really helps to know, of course it helps to know which specific games you want to play because that just tells you immediately. If you if you want to play The Legend of Zelda, you know exactly right. what console you're getting. That is only if it's a Nintendo title, you're getting a Nintendo console. That's it, right? If you like to play racing games now it comes becomes a little more difficult well racing games that's a genre there's racing games available for every platform do you want realistic racing games or sort of cartoony arcadey racing games if you say realistic you probably eliminated nintendo then you're looking at xbox or playstation there are some platform exclusive racing games there are also ones that are on both platforms you'd have to you know try them out to see which ones you like and it's a more difficult decision if you don't know what kind of game you like then it's just black magic voodoo like it's very difficult um and realistically speaking from a a a position as someone with a uh a decently paying job and everything when you're a kid it's a big deal like which console you're gonna beg your parents to get you for christmas when you're an adult you can buy two consoles if you have a good job over the course of a year or two years you can buy two consoles um especially if you don't play a lot of games so like they're they're a couple hundred bucks each like for, for people for people who buy like you know max every three years a couple hundred bucks on a console isn't that big of a deal uh but if you are more resource constrained uh that if you are a kid or just don't have that kind of disposable income to spend on things it can feel fraught but i feel like that's kind of missing the point because every console has great games for it right and especially if you're a new gamer if you get quote unquote the wrong console like oh i i can only afford to spend you know my 300 bucks of of 400 bucks of fun money this year Maybe realistically 500 if you're gonna buy some games and stuff that's it and i spent it uh, i spent it on this console and now i look at the other console and that exclusive game for the other console i really want to play and i can't there are great games for every console but it seems like but playstation and xbox are like the more serious gamer platforms there there is a long history uh, uh cultural thing behind that and also a technological angle to it uh but yeah you're getting the gist of it but the reasons for it are strange and uh and, and things like that can change and nintendo has tried to change it a few times it always seems to circle back it's kind of like apple's always going to kind of be apple nintendo has a certain corporate spirit that pretty much no matter what they do tends to come through mm-hmm. uh and the technological decisions are fur- that they've made are further emphasize, further isolating them and further making sure that they continue to be the the unique thing that they are and don't become like their competitors for better or for worse. Which is which is a benefit and a deficit, it sounds like, because you know, you, they're going to make games that you only play on Nintendo and there's they end, you know, Nintendo is going to be Nintendo. Yeah, because they are they're basically they're fielding hardware that is a generation behind the other ones. So lots of things are just if if a, if a EA wants to make a game on every platform, 
if they want to make a version for the Wii U, which they probably don't because the Wii U didn't sell that many, but if they wanted to, they have to make a cut-down version for the Wii U. And that's it's annoying to make a game like, well, these are roughly the same capabilities, and then this is other machine here that has massively less capabilities. How are we going to make one game that runs all three of them? It's always going to be compromised on another one. And then you're like, well, do we should we compromise the entire game engine? So it's comp- because if you have like if you have an idea for a feature that's going to affect gameplay, say you're making some kind of game where dynamic lighting and shadows are an important part of gameplay you can't just say well on the wii u we just won't have the shadows because if that's part of your game it's like well you know you've broken the game you need shadows it's part of the game it's a stealth mechanic maybe it's like whatever Mm -hmm. and so then you're like oh well can we make something that works on all three of them maybe we can make our shadows kind of crappier but then it makes crappy for everyone and and, you know realistically speaking it's not an issue this time because the wii u sold uh hasn't been selling that well uh and people who own wii u's mostly buy nintendo first party games these days uh, but look at the Wii. It's the opposite. The Wii sold massive volumes, and then everyone was motivated to make terrible cut-down versions of their games for the Wii mm-hmm. because there were so many of them in the market that it was worthwhile doing. Same, Similar strategy. Make a weird, goofy machine that appeals to, quote-unquote, everybody more than the other ones do. Two very different results. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Harry's. Harry's offers high-quality razors and blades for a fraction of the price of the big razor brands. You just go to harrys.com and use the promo code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, to save $5 off your first purchase. Let me tell you a story. It's a story about shaving. Because Harry's was started by two guys who wanted a better product without paying an arm and a leg. They make their own blades from their very own factory. It's an old blade factory in Germany, the old country. They liked the place so much, they bought it. And these are high-quality, high-performing German blades crafted by shaving experts, the only people that you would want making your shaving products. They give you a better shave that respects your face and your wallet. And how often does that happen? Be honest. Harry's offers factory direct pricing at a fraction of the big brands. Harry's blades are about half the price of what you'd expect to pay. Plus, you don't have to wait around for some kid to bail your costly blades out of the drugstore's Supermax razor prison. You order Harry's supplies, they ship them directly to your door, and you're done. Boom, you are shaving. Their starter set is an amazing deal. For $15, you get a razor, moisturizing shave cream or gel, plus three blades. And when you need more blades, they're just about $2 or less each. Eight-pack, $15. A 16-pack, just $25. That's value, my friend. I'd say Harry's blades are comparable in quality to the kind of blades you'd get at the drugstore, maybe the fusion blades that are made by a company that rhymes with Schmalet. The best price that I see on Amazon for those kinds of blades, 12 packs is about $41. 12 Harry's blades are only $20. That's half the price of the Schmillettes. Mm. Great packaging, nice heavy handle. It's just classy, classy act all around. With Harry's, you get the convenience and ease of ordering online, high quality blades, great handling shaving cream, excellent customer service, half the price of the big brands. It's a no-brainer, you guys. So get started with that set. It includes a handle, three blades, and shaving cream, just $15 shipped to your door. So please go to harrys.com and make sure to use the promo code DIFFS, D-I-F-F-S, that lets you uh, tell them that you heard about it here. Save $5 off your first purchase. Thank you so much to Harry's for making me look like a little bit less of a grotesque homunculus and for supporting reconcilable differences. Okay, I just have 1.5 1, 1. Uh, more questions. Um, the and I, for, uh, Forgive me if this is not... Uh, Journey, Last Guardian. Uh, what's the one? Flight of the Cyclops. What's the, pe- the people who make Last Guardian? What's theirs <laughs> called? 
but uh, the people who make Last Guardian, you've got Eco, Colossus, some Colossus, Shadow of the Colossus. Okay, it was a different uh, X Men. Um, and I don't know, like Destiny Journey. Those kinds, are, are the is is that a genre or like what about Last of Us? Are those are those all kind of a genre? Uh, no, that you you've spanned many different things there. Okay, uh, there. It's kind of like kind of like rock, where you have indie rock. What the hell is indie rock? Right, you kind you know what it is, right? Well, but yeah. If you say like, to somebody Swedish, uh, like like melodic Swedish death metal versus Norwegian black metal, you go, well, I'm sure those are virtually the same. And I'm like, well, let me play you four songs, and you can pretty definitely tell that these are two very different genres. It sounds the like, same, but it really ain't. And like indie rock is like, well, does that mean they're not signed to a major label because they're independent? Well, not necessarily. Like right. you could have someone who's on a major label, but you would say he's an indie rocker. Well, that's, so, that's a strange term. It sounds like you can only buy it with a Discover card or something. It's a, such a weird way to put that. Yeah, so indie games is a term originally origin in the same way. Oh, they're not signed up with the big publisher or whatever. They're independent game makers. But at this point, lots of games from big studios, very closely associated to big uh, game makers, are still called indie. What it stands in for is what I've said on other podcasts I call artsy-fartsy games, right? The, the P.T. Anderson type games where... Is that what you call something like Journey? Yes, okay. our journey is 100% an artsy-fartsy artsy game. Okay. As opposed to, you know, like the Jurassic World or not Transformers movies. I don't want to be insulting to other games. So there, there are the Transformers movies of games. But like the big, you know, broad, widely appealing games uh, that you've heard the names of. Those are, Kessel, are one Kessel, thing. Kessel Wolfenstein. Uh, you're dating yourself a little bit there. Although there was uh, a remake of that and several but other. Like, uh, I think that's the thing. Is my problem is I think it's like I think of it as first-person shooters and like beautiful soap operas and like uh, not soap operas, but you know what I mean. Beautiful like cinematic movies or pardon me, cinematic games. Yeah, those are kinds of games, but there are many more. Like Journey, definitely artsy fartsy games. Uh, Gone Home. Did you listen to the incomparable about Gone Home? Um, what's the one with walking through the desert? That's Journey, right? No. Yeah. Anyway, there there are all sorts of varieties of games, and there every year there are a couple of darling artsy fartsy indie games, whether they're indie or whether they're actually indie or not. Like off the beaten path, not your usual fare, not going to see advertised on on a, during the Super Bowl or on MTV. That get critically acclaimed, like just like movies, you know, critically acclaimed movie that almost no one sees, but that the people who love it love it desperately. And I have, I have definitely drawn to those type of games. But I also play games like Destiny, which is like one of the biggest games ever made. It costs five hundred million dollars to develop. You're kidding? Right? Yeah. So oh my god, that is that is not an artsy fartsy game for five hundred million dollars. You don't make an artsy fartsy game. You know that is a that is a ten year enterprise that is undertaken with a massive amount of money. Uh, and experienced game developer with hundreds, hundreds of developers and artists all working on this game over years and years. Those are those are basically the ends of the spectrum. Okay. And I I like things all along the spectrum at various points. Uh, so I'm not limiting myself, but I do tend to like the artsy fartsy games much more than your average gamer. I think. And so all those ones, you know, like Journey of the Last Guardian, uh, Eco, uh, Shadow of the Colossus. Gone Home, even things like Brothers, which was also on the Gone Home uh, episode, definitely more indie artsy fartsy. Okay. Last of Us, uh, fairly broadly appealing, uh, a little bit of a connection to the sort of indie world in terms of spirit, but production wise, just a massive game. And then Destiny is like just the other end of the spectrum. Okay, I have and then Nintendo I have t- games, tons so. and tons more, but I don't want to overwhelm you. That's a, that's enough to start. All right. Probably. So now, so for you, we want to know where where it went wrong for you. Yeah. Because you've mentioned video games on past episodes, but you had Atari 2600? 
No. Um, so you want a quick whistle whistle stop tour? Yeah. Um, let's see. Well, the very first video games. I mean, you know, I guess I played Pong uh, in the uh, on people's TV sets and in you know. I, I mean, I, I I guess there were always arcades because of pinball. I, I enjoyed pinball a lot when I was a kid. I played Pong. The first ones I remember really getting into. I I got into Space Invaders. I found it frustrating, but I liked Space Invaders. I played, I guess, Space Wars. I played all those like weird games, but I mean, it was even then. I think it was still twenty five cents a crack. It was very, very costly. Um, so I, I didn't play a lot. When I when did I get into it? I uh, the pizza place that we went to got Donkey Kong, and and forget you're gonna have to help me out with the, with the dates. I'm gonna jumble these dates because I'm gonna be John Syracuse with the dates. Donkey Kong was so graphically amazing. Oh wait, let me go back a little bit. Oh Red Baron, some of the Atari games like Red Baron and Lunar Lander. I really like. I don't know if you know those games, but they're super vectory looking Atari games. Yep. You, okay, so you're familiar with that? Like Red Baron when it first came out, really was felt really like incredible. It felt amazing that that thing worked. I like that. Oh my God, there was this one, I totally forgot about this till right now. Sea Wolf? It was a submarine game. Yep, yep, I know it. it was something Wolf. It was an arcade game. It had like a periscope. Type, <sighs> it was, uh, I, I, in that year of military school, I cannot, that and Joker, per, Joker, Perker, Joker Poker Pinball, I can't tell you how much money I blew on those games. Um... But I think the first game that I like fell madly in love with. So anyway, I played tons of those. And, you know, in the, I guess that would be like, what, 80, 81. 81 is when it really felt like it started to blow up, which would be when I was in eighth grade. Eighth and ninth grade is when I really started, you know, to the extent that I could afford it, which was hardly at all, I got really into arcade games. So, I mean, I, I, I liked Defender a lot, but Stargate was like a way of life for me. Robotron, I loved Robotron. Um... I I was terrible. What's the one where you spin around? Um, not Gravatar. Uh, uh, Tempest? Yeah, Tempest. Tempest I found incredibly frustrating. The one where you spin around. You spin yeah. around and the little yellow, yellow walker guys come up. Well, no, I'm, I'm, I'm not trying to sandbag yep. here. I'm not trying to be like Hipster Merlin. I'm telling you, like, I wish I could afford to blow more money every Friday night on those games. But like Stargate, there was one near my friend Ricky's house and we would go... And we would just watch people play Stargate. We would play Stargate. We would buy books about Stargate. I was utterly obsessed with Stargate um, and all, all of those that came along. But I think I think probably you know, Robo- there's a tie for me, I would have to say, between maybe Robotron and Galaga. Uh, I also like Gorf. But, you know, in a more pure way, I really like Galaga. So Gal- Gal- yeah, Galaga and Robotron were my two go-tos. And that was, you know, uh, by that point, I didn't have a lot of dough. And I guess, when did the Star Wars one come out? The one where you sat down. Yeah, was that like 80, some, 80? sometimes shortly after Star Wars, I imagine. Yeah. Well, there was a really amazing one that I think cost 50 cents. I think it cost two quarters. Yeah, sit down one with the cool controller. With yeah. The, yep, but you twisted and, and turned like a steering wheel as well. But like so many things, I mean, to get this first chapter over, uh, as far as arcade games, by the time I went to college, uh, oh yeah, then I started playing like, is it, what's the, the two guys hitting each other, Street Fighter? I played that at the subway a lot. We used to play a lot of, whatever that game was in 1985 or six. Where two guys fight each other. We've played that yep. a lot. Double, double a, Dragon? The, double Dragon. That is a genre of game, but yes. Street well, it's either Double Dragon or Street Fighter. We used to play that a lot. Um, and then I went to college. And like, there's like, uh, there was a, such a big pivot. My interest in music went like through the roof. And, you know, I played pool more than that at that point. So when, when did you go to college? Started in 86, graduated in 90. 
So you were there. You were around. Tetris. We played for, Tetris. We played Tetris. That was <laughs> for the Nintendo. Atari was one thing, right? Atari. Atari was. If you didn't have an Atari in your house, maybe you missed out on this. But it was so primitive. But it sounds like you were mostly in the arcade mode, where you go to a place and pay money for the games, which is yeah. a very different experience than having it in your house. And being oh able to play yeah, for yeah. Free. I can answer this super quickly. Yeah. So my friend Sam, um, one of my very best friends in junior high and high school, had an Atari. They were pretty well off, and they had an Atari, and they had some of the great games, some of the terrible games. They had Superman, they had ET, they had Raiders of the Lost Ark, you had Moon Patrol, you had Pitfall. Why do I remember this? <laughs> but like we would mainly play, and then when Yars Revenge came out, that was like mostly what we wanted to play. Um, and so, yeah, he had all of those and I, you know, I was there like almost every weekend at his house staying over and we would play that when we could. Uh, and then, yeah, you're right. Then later on, Sam got, Sam started college, dropped out. And at some point he got his NES, whatever that first Nintendo system with the Mario's. And did you play that over there? Uh, no, I mean, I looked at it, but I have to say, even at whatever the tender age of 19 or 20, I looked at that and I was like, Sam, you're you're a grown man. You're a volunteer fireman. Like, what are you doing playing oh, video games? What happened? Yeah, so, uh, I think the timing was not quite right for you. If you were younger when the NES, because Atari was so primitive. And, like, oh, it but was, dude, and, it was, I mean, it was so, it was still, certain games, I think, really held up. I mean, Superman was silly, but like, you know, stuff like Moon Patrol was pretty fun, you know? Yeah, well, the problem was a lot of the early Atari games were modeled on or uh, attempted clones at games that were designed to make you plunk quarters into them. Right, and it was oh yeah, pa- Pac-Man being tech. a great example of like, oh my god, Pac-Man was. I don't think Pac-Man's a super fun game. It's like, it's like a primitive Dragon's Lair. It's like there's not that much to it, but like playing it on the Atari was useless. But we were so excited when Pac-Man came out because it was like we can play Pac-Man at home for for, for right, free. But then, then you sucked. then you realize that the games lose a little bit of something when there's like no money on the line. Like is it, you design a game differently to be designed to eat quarters versus designed to be played. That's that's why like, you know, so Donkey Kong was an arcade game. Yeah, uh, but it's not the game that launched the NES into uh, the the vaunted place that it currently occupies. Well, wasn't it te- 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 technically the franchise that launched it? I mean, don't the Mario guys come from? Yeah, no, it's it's all connected. But like the the game, you know, Super Mario Brothers uh, plays very differently than if you had designed it to be an arcade game you to put your core and there was you know of course there was mario brothers arcade game also very different than the one that was on the console but so once the uh, that's why i feel like atari didn't have the tech to go much beyond the coin op and had a lot of the hangover from coin op uh and it was mostly just like i mean people enjoyed those games and they were great and like you said it's like oh i don't have to put in quarters and play it but i think the real revolution in the u.s anyway it was the super uh, was nintendo entertainment system where they had games that were utterly unlike uh, things that you played in the arcade. Even though arcades still had better graphics and everything, these were games that were not designed to take quarters from you. Well, I, I do remember at the time, the, the music alone, which sounds so funny and, and retro now, uh, um, was so entertaining. I mean, the composition of these funny little songs, even then I was like, oh, this is this is pretty amusing. You know, a, a good case of the kind of Pixarization, like the like doing the most you can with what you have, with the mechanics and the and the music and all that stuff. Yeah, and it helped that it was super talented, you know, legendary game designers and musicians behind making those first few games. But that's, uh, you were old enough by that point that you looked on it as something that you had, like, gone through and were coming out of. At that point, it was very difficult to have the perspective that video games would be a lifelong pastime in the same way that reading books and watching movies where you're like, well, you still watch movies? That's a kid's thing. Like, that was not Yeah, I mean, that, that would be like asking me why I'm not into Barbies. Or, or army men, 
Like you right. would just be like, are you well, seriously like, yeah, you know, I don't need diapers either. Like, why would I play video games? And, and as a young, it's a, it was a young medium. Like the very first, right. you know, video game machines that you could buy in the home were not that many years old. But it's also just, it was also just like how it's in the same way that you, I'm always ranting about like the difference between thoughts about screens when I was a kid versus now. I mean, you have to understand like, you know, no parent liked their kids playing video games. And when you got to the point when you were old enough to make those decisions, I mean, you know, 25 or 50 cents a game, really, you could be spending that on beer or records. So yeah, it was, it was bad timing in that sense, for sure. And, and, and where, were you, where were you then? Well, I, I wasn't allowed to have video game consoles for the aforementioned reasons about the, <laughs> right, right, them. Right, right, right. your brain, all this, this isn't other long, stuff. This isn't long after the Mac Plus either. You've, you've already got a Mac Plus. Right, so I'm, I'm playing games on my Mac, which is a very narrow subspecies of gamers, the Mac gamers. Like, and I was a forced Mac gamer because I wasn't allowed to have video game consoles. Um, and I, I love my Mac, and I love playing games on it, but they were definitely a different type of game. But my friends all had the, you know, Nintendo, Super Nintendo, Sega Genesis and stuff, and I would play over their house. Uh, playing over other people's houses is not the same as having it yourself. Because if you have it yourself, you can spend that Saturday where you literally spend eight hours sitting in the basement in front of your, uh, your thing trying to play The Legend of Zelda. If you go visit someone's house, rare that you're there for eight hours or more. Or the stories of, like, uh, kids waiting for their parents to go to sleep and then sneaking down to the basement and playing all night long to continue playing a game. Especially the games that didn't let you save. You have to just pause and leave the television turned off and then make sure your uh, siblings or parents don't accidentally bump the thing and unpause it and let you die. Oh, my God. Or unplug it or whatever. <gasps> like, that, I didn't have that experience. So not owning a console uh, gets you But I, I was obsessively into video games. I loved arcade games. I would go to the arcade and just spend all my money on tons of games that I was not good at. <laughs> and that's why I would eat all my money. I'd go to my friend's house and play their consoles. I would play video <laughs> games on my Mac. I was very, very into it. I never, I never thought I was going to outgrow it because I was, I had a hunger for video games and the the same way that I was into like computers, how the technology would improve at such a rapid pace. And mm-hmm. I was into that and I would read all the magazines about what the next Mac and the next CPU and the next graphics card. I had the same thing about video game hardware. Next arcade games, next home consoles. <laughs> just fast just what young John needed, another, another interest to learn everything about. <laughs> Yeah, well, the, but it's the same. It's very similar. It's like, what can we do with technologies? Because I was alive for the Atari Twenty Six Hundred. My friend had Atari Twenty Six Hundred. I played Kaboom in his basement. You know, played uh, Night Driver and all these other things. Right? Uh, I was alive for that, and I was also alive for the revolution from two D into three D. And it's like, why well, anything is possible, right? You know, the and you read science fiction books, and you're like, it's it's going to happen. Like that time of advancement in that short a period of time makes you think, if I just extrapolate along this line, you know, will be. We didn't have the word for it, but we'll be in the Matrix uh, shortly. And, you know, things have tapered off a little bit. Uh, but I was obsessively into it. So I never had the sort of vacation from it that, that you do. It's like, well, the video games are things kids do. Now I have better things to do with my times, with my time. And maybe you'll never, it sounds like you never, you never made it back until all of a sudden you noticed you woke up one day and all the adults you know are playing video games and taking them seriously. And you are not you're not in in that. right right but but by you know you're absolutely right but by by not paying continuous attention to that stuff i mean it, it's not really maybe so different from the way people looked at what i will call microcomputers where you go like oh god i'm so tired of hearing about computers right through the like early 80s i'm so tired of hearing about computers and like pretty soon you're like wow i guess i really need to learn about computers and like maybe it's not quite as profound as that but it's that's kind of how i feel where i'm like uh, you know, like I, yeah, like I've said in, in a variety of places, I feel like I just, I really missed something. And I'm starting to realize I was probably 
almost not totally wrong, but like very wrong. Like I missed, I missed something and now I need to catch up and I think it would be fun. Plus I got a kid. I think it's more profound than missing out on computers because I, computers are not a thing that I think like, if you're just like, well, you know, I'm not interested in computers. And then you wake up one day like, Oh, everyone knows about computers. You don't really need to know about computers. Computers will come down to you, right? Like if you don't know anything about computers, eventually you'll find yourself using one at work and you'll figure out enough, uh, how to use it enough to, send someone email and browse the web and play solitaire. And then, you know, eventually when everyone has a smartphone, your next one will be a smartphone too. And you figure out how they work. Like it's fine. Like you don't, it's not something you need to be into, but games as an artistic medium, it's like, uh, you know, sort of opting out of the culture. Like, Oh, I never watched live theater. Like, that's just not a thing I do. And I'm, I don't, I don't think, you know, if you just cut that out as I don't see any value in it. I think it's silly that other people do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm just going to ignore it. You will lead a less rich life. Like if you just, maybe even not live theater, you're just cutting out an entire, like I never watch movies or television. I don't watch films medium at all. Wow. As, as I sit here, as I sit here, that seems like, like an incredible stretch, but I, I want to hear more. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to say like, what's worse. If, if you just ignore computers your whole life, eventually like you're going to, you don't have to be a computer expert. You're going to, you're going to use them in your life or whatever, but you can, Ignore, for example, television. Like I just never watch television at all, and I think like, and no one's gonna be like, well, okay, you may not be into television, but you're gonna end up having to watch it for your job, and you know, you're gonna, no, you don't, <laughs> you can just, you can just not watch television at all, and that that loss of like deciding not to consume this form of art at all, you can do that, and you'll be missing out. Whereas computers, you can't do that. Like it's like saying I don't, I don't like pavement. Well, tough luck. Like it's everywhere, you know. Uh, so that's that's what I'm saying that I, that, that I think is a, mo- a more of a loss because right the, hmm. the other techno- technology I mean and think of another technological thing that you were that you didn't miss out on was like you had what is that the uh, the G1 the first Android smartphone do you remember that mm-hmm. yeah right you were right on the cutting edge of that it's like hey mobile things that can do interesting stuff you know you've always been interested in tech and mm-hmm. the mac and stuff like that i'm interested in the idea of a thing that i can carry around that can do more than what i have right so you didn't miss out on the iphone you were right there you were you know ahead of the curve even um but if you didn't if you just paid no attention to it you'd probably still have an iphone now you'd be like whatever this is my phone i call people on it i can text like right. it's not a big deal but no one is shoving a video game into your hands no one is like even though p- people around you are playing apparently your friends are not uh having that, an that's an interesting thing. interesting continuum though because when you talk about a phone well like purely a phone like in the classic sense like your friends if your friends actually like you they would pressure you to have a phone like and to be available like that's what i was gonna say like why are your friends not getting you into games i don't have that many friends but but also um the like think about it. i think maybe another example i mean do you think it's on the same level as texting like just going i don't text like today you kind of have to text Everybody texts yeah, now. Th- there's a social aspect to that as well. Like, I mean, it's more like, and this is actually a more realistic one. I don't read books. And you see all those terrible statistics about how many people graduate high school and they never read another book, right? Um, but, I mean, we, they, get, you make, they make you read them in school anyway. But, like, right. yeah, some people just aren't big readers and don't either don't read fiction, don't read nonfiction, don't read anything at all. Uh, and it's a shame to just have that, you know, that experience just entirely cut out of your life. Uh, and video games, I feel like, are are elevated to at least the level of movies and TV about this point. Maybe not to the level of, of books, just for historical reasons, but, you know, fast forward a few hundred years, it'll all be one big soup. Well, I, I think it hasn't, it hasn't taken very many years for somebody I really respect, Roger Ebert, for his pronouncement to go from, hmm, that's an interesting point, to like, hmm, 
I don't know. I think maybe video games can be art. <laughs> That's... He got he got trapped by his own. Like I think he just made an offhand comment that he thought everyone would agree with. Uh, and and you know they're not uh, they're not art in the form that he understands best. And so it's hard to, hard to believe that anything can be art when it. Shares I think it's so even sim- with... I think it's even simpler than that. I mean, as somebody who's in his same uh, relative boat. Um, that's got the stink of you've not really seen video games, have you? <laughs> in that case, right? Yeah, that too. Like, uh, you know, I, I trying to engage with them, like, oh, I should get you to play this game. That, one of the things they had him do was like, you know, that someone had him play Shadow of the Colossus. Like, this is the worst thing you could possibly do. Someone who doesn't know that's video not, that's games, that's not a beginner kind of game, is it? Throw them in the deep end and say, <laughs> yeah, this is what. Yeah, that's yeah. And and there is a that's the other thing, but there is a literacy to gaming. I so that's get why, that. I so get that now. Like like trying to I'm I'm trying to think of the the uh, Merlin remedial video game curriculum, to, and it's you know it's not to hey play these great games that I love like you can't do that it's like you know someone who just learned how to read and just say all right Shakespeare go like you don't right. that's not how it works you have to you have to start with three little pigs or whatever no I, I and I I'm, I'm very interested in that and I'm very open to that but I mean I'm, I'm I get it every day now where now it used to be my daughter really wanted to. Um, she still likes to watch TV, but when she comes home, she really wants to play Minecraft on the iPad, you know, just creative mode on iPad. And, but like I walk in and I look and I'm like, what are you doing? She's like, I'm making a roller coaster in my house. I'm like, you're, what are you, you're what and you're what? And she's like, she's built this palace and, and she figured out, like, she hasn't read a book on this. And I'm I know, listen, you guys shut up. I know you have kids who are great at Minecraft. What I'm telling you is my daughter's exposure to Minecraft is having an iPad and having friends. Like that she does not, she's not like a Minecraft person, but she somehow has the converse. She's like, she's able to just click around and figure this thing out on her own in a way I would, I would never attempt to do that. I would spend six weeks just trying to train myself on the tools and she's just going out and trying stuff. <laughs> the tools. <laughs> Cause she got it. It's not a CAD program. <laughs> yeah. Now little kids just figure stuff out. I mean, speaking right. of CAD, pro- I, I remember when I was a kid and had various, uh, <laughs> when I was finally getting into a legal software, I, get, I had a. A, th- a very expensive 3D modeling program. I, I think it was called Form Z, like the word form and then a capital Z. That sounds familiar. Uh, and not user-friendly at all. Well, they were uh, awful. They were so you, awful. You could make 3D shapes with it. And I just sat there in front of that program and figured out how to use it and made this big, giant, sophisticated model of a giant robot, of course, uh, from an anime show. Uh, and I remember thinking of that years later when I was struggling to learn how to use some much less complicated program. It's just when you're younger... Either you have way more time, and, and like, what else do you have to do? You just keep banging your head against this until you figure it out, or you're just better at learning things, and it's probably both. I was still doing that in my in my uh, mid to late twenties, though, when I would occasionally be gifted with a CD-ROM full of stuff from a friend, and uh, and I would just go, "Oh my god!" And I would open it up, and it's like, "Oh my god! Oh my god! Oh my god!" And I would just sit there and play with what's the, was the Pixar one, Render Man? What's the one where you make the figures? Yeah, Render Man. And I would just, I mean, like I had no, there was nothing in the conceivable in the entire world where I could turn that into something that that was a useful thing to know. Like I didn't even need it for courtroom exhibits. I just wanted to sit there and like learn every aspect of that program or that uh, that goofy Adobe one for making three D objects. I was just, I was utterly obsessed with those. And I would sit there all day. I didn't have a manual or anything. <laughs> I had a CD-ROM, some serial numbers. And yeah. I would just sit there, and that's uh, I was utterly obsessed. That's how I learned Quark. This episode of Reconcilable Differences is brought to you in part by Hover.com. Hover is quite simply the best way to buy and manage domain names. Hover gives you exactly what you need to find the perfect domain for your new idea. And they take all the hassle and confusion out of getting that name registered simply, safely, securely, and privately. Of course, Hover has all the top-level domains that you'd expect, 
alltheclassics.com.co.net.me. But they also have all those great new TLDs you've been hearing about. .buzz, .poker, .farm, and yes, you can even buy domains ending in .pizza. You're welcome. Here's the thing. Hover really is different from other registrars in just so many ways. At Hover, there are no mystery meetup cells or creepy add-ons. You get a smart control panel. Plus, who is privacy is always included for free on every domain that supports it. Hover even offers a free valet transfer service, so you can skip all the hassle of trying to move your domains over from where they're currently registered. And believe me, some registrars just love to make that as difficult as they can. All you need to know is that Hover takes your work and your business seriously, and it shows in everything they do. If you ever need a hand, Hover has the best customer support around, highlighted by their beloved no-wait, no-hold, no-transfer phone service. So when you call, an actual real person will pick up the phone and help you out. If you dig around a little more, you'll find so much more to Hover. So much great stuff, volume discounts for bulk domain renewals. You can get custom email addresses, storage and forwarding. It's all in there. So if you're in the market for some sweet new domains or you're ready to move your current domains to a place that treats you like an actual human, please try Hover. You can get 10% off your first purchase and show your support for our program by going to Hover.com and using the very special offer code CORRECTIONS at checkout. Corrections. Our thanks to Hover for making pretty much everything about domain names a breeze and for supporting reconcilable differences. Yeah, but so for games, it's like that a little bit, but yeah, do you remember the hypercritical, I think, episode where I talked about the skill barrier to enjoyment of video games? I don't remember that one, but I'll find Maybe it. Maybe it wasn't hypercritical. I don't know. I'm not better. Anyway, I, at various points in some other podcasts I talked about, unlike other forms of art, I think it was hypercritical, unlike other forms of art where maybe you have some minimum bar, like you need to be literate to read, but things like movies and televisions, you just basically need eyes and ears, some life experience, and you can, or live theater for that matter, or storytelling. Like, for the most part, if you are functional in enough of your senses and have lived any amount of life and are sort of vaguely self-aware, you can enjoy these forms of art. You know, someone can tell you a story and you can listen to the story and be caught up in the story and enjoy it. Uh, and theater and, and movies and TV. But video games, the uh, you can't just throw someone down in front of a video game and expect them to get the intended experience out of it. There's something that you have to is that still be, true? be able to do. Oh, yes, definitely. Um, and th there's a certain mechanical skill that you need to have to play the game. And the game's not fun if you can't play it. And some games are sort of, you know, very accessible and uh, can be picked up by anybody. Uh, but there are other games that are actually very complicated. And there's not really an equivalent in most other genres like there are movies that are like well you can't understand this movie unless you've read all this french literature and understand the period that it's coming from and know all this background and context right uh, but that's knowledge that's not physical coordination and skill you know what i mean mm -hmm. like it is still a background but you know you can learn it you can study it uh but it's different than coordination i'm not even talking about people who are like uh you know have disabilities and just literally can't play the games for a variety of reasons or have extreme difficulty playing certain genres of game just regular completely able-bodied people uh, some of them are just never going to be able to, never going to have the this the dexterity to play a certain type of game, or never going, more likely, not never going to have it, but are ne they're never going to have it because they're never going to be motivated enough to acquire it. Mm -hmm. If they didn't acquire it when they were a child, when you got lots of free time, and you know, and your brain is very malleable, uh, it's kind of like people who 
are uh, you know adults and still can't swim it's much more difficult to teach them to swim than taking you know, like learning to, a language like a five-year-old can pick up spanish easier than a 15 year old in some ways yes yeah no and and with video games like again it's not that you can't do it when you're older it's just that like it's not fun to do it so why would you spend your time like oh, i'm gonna buckle down and i mean at least swimming you're trying to prevent yourself from drowning right <laughs> you're like well this is an important life skill in case i fall off a boat i should really do this right but video games like why would i do this thing that is not fun for a really long time with the promise of potential fun afterwards so that's the that's the skill barrier to enjoying video games. It's going to keep people away if they don't if they don't have that. And that's not ignoring all the other stuff. It's all the stuff I talked about, like with the knowing that the 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 political background and French literature and the history of this artist and stuff like that that exists in video games too. That's the other kind of literacy. Do you understand the the genre, the history of the genre, how this game is playing on the conventions of the genre, like all that kind of understanding the history of games to appreciate the current one. Like even modern movies do that. You have to sort of know something about the history of cinema to appreciate what this movie is doing like what is it playing off of what is it subverting what right. is it enhancing what is it you know video games have that too and they also have a thing where you have to have really good hand-eye coordination to even play certain games otherwise it gets frustrating um so that's why it's a difficult hobby to share with people because they're used to all forms of art or most forms of art perhaps requiring deep knowledge especially for the more obscure snooty highbrow cult stuff or whatever but not requiring anything of you except to be there and to, to to have some knowledge, some background, and then just let it like wash over you and, and, and you know, be an experience. And games are participatory. You are you are making the art as much as you are experiencing it. And making it is not particularly easy. So in thinking of my uh, you know, a program for you to get you back into video games, it's very difficult mm-hmm. uh, to think of where you should start a lot of the things i have i think of you starting with are not particularly fun like i'm trying to think of a game that's not actually a very good game but that would give you the literacy in a particular the the physical and contextual literacy in a particular genre so that you can later appreciate the better game that i think you should play but is that even fun for you you're going to sit there and bang your head against the wall this like have you tried to play minecraft have you you know no in survival mode no no just not just in creative mode just oh yeah yeah can you move around the world and- we'll grab two iP- uh, ipads and, and hop in but she mostly wants me to leave and not t- touch her stuff but yeah 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 <laughs> I, i've done it a little yeah it's um i mean it's it's really just play in the purest sense of the word there's nothing i mean she says there's she's heard something about hey, how you can't dig too deep or you get in trouble but um no mostly she's just building stuff it's it's lego on an ipad mostly yeah. so what i'm interested in from your perspective is simply acquiring the skill to move around the world like have you tried to make anything yeah yeah and i mean I, i've got i can kind of fly around a little bit and know where to land and find her in the world and stuff like that but no i mean it took me a while without having to go and you know read like figure out like you know why is it i'm trying to i'm trying to make lamb chops but instead i keep making glass houses like it's oh i need to change this tool and do this thing and you hold it this long to kill lots of these blocks and i just kind of figured that out mostly on my own and found it actually really entertaining so what I was thinking of was like, you know, have you made a little house? Have you made a statue? Have you made any structure? I have not. I've, I've, I've watched her do it for hours and hours, but I have not now. Because that, and the reason I bring that up is not because you, uh, it's important for you to make a house or something. It's because if you, if you have a plan, I'm going to make a miniature Eiffel Tower. You conceptualize it and to execute it, 
you have to have a certain minimum amount of skill of positioning and moving yourself in the world. Oh, right. Yeah. Okay. So I see what you're saying. So like with her, like she's pretty good at figuring out like, here's where I have to stand in order to make this wall. And I don't know how she knows this stuff. She's like, okay, you got to make this cage at least three blocks high if you're going to keep stuff in there. Right. And like knowing where you're standing in the right place so that you're not blowing up this part. You're building this with this block and putting this by that and that kind of stuff orientation basically right yeah and and surprising number of people you know especially people who don't have any experience with games this is one of the hardest things to do in especially in 3d games i found it very frustrating i it was not nearly as intuitive as i expected given my experience right like gamers will take it for granted but if you just give the controller to you know or you know you're using your fingers on the ipad or whatever like people can't keep track of where they even are in the world which direction am i facing who am i how do and then to know what control to push to make your person go where you want them to go. Building something in Minecraft requires you to figure with something with a plan. I'm going to make the Eiffel Tower. You have a vision in your head of what you want it to look like. You may know exactly where the blocks want to go. You can picture it in your head. Now move your little dude to right. put those blocks there. And that requires you to figure out all sorts of different positioning systems. And this is a super important skill because this is like the base, base, baseline. You do not want it. You're no, no one is going to enjoy a game if they can't position themselves in a 3D world. It is such a fundamental thing that they expect you to be able to do. That's a really, that's actually a really good point. And you're doing it with your fingers, but there's also a mouse and a keyboard, and there's a controller, and those tr those skills may not translate. This is the bottom level of like, I would never let you near any one of my beloved games without having the fundamentals. I think that's entirely reasonable. So is is my homework potentially, do you want to, you don't have to give it now, but you could think about some homework maybe for Minecraft. Um, you don't have to do it now. Yeah, I'm, I'm trying to think of uh, of what would be a good starter well, I, set. I, I, gotta, I mean, we've got about 15 or 20 minutes before you got to go. And I, I have a couple things. And, and like, I don't want to ask you this because I have a feeling I know what the answer is. But uh, you... Um, are uh, understandably actually weirdly like me a big believer in like avoiding spoilers like here's the thing john i don't i, I have this feeling i'm probably never actually going to play the last of us is it really beneath me to sit and watch a playthrough of that because i, I kind of want to see what it's like uh yeah it's probably beneath you and i'll tell you i'll tell you why mm -hmm. um not because i think I, I probably agree with you you're probably never going to play the game it's actually a fairly difficult game uh, Somebody just sent me a link to what looks like a cinematic playthrough where it like like looks like a movie, and yeah. I, and so like I'd love to watch somebody play it. So what's your what's your feeling on that? My my feeling on that is not that it's not that you should like save it like oh you never know you might play it or whatever you don't want to spoil it yourself. It's that that's not the game. Games are not movies. Mm -hmm. uh, mm -hmm. By watching that, you will know like quote unquote what happens in the game. But that is so far from the game because playing the game, like people say, I don't, I don't like to play games, but I like to watch them. You may enjoy that. That may be a thing, but that's not video games. The experience of playing a game is so, so different than the experience of watching someone else play the game. Not to say watching someone, watching someone play the game can also be fun. And it is a different thing. But, but you're watching but, them, like for example, is, is this one of the games where you like explore the house and stuff like that? And you like find it, clues? It, it doesn't matter what kind of game it is. Every game, you know, that you play the playing of the game is the important part. Like, that's what gamers like. Of course, gamers like to watch hmm. other people play as well, but the experience changes profoundly. So you can't judge a game or say, this is or isn't for me, or like, you're missing more than half of the experience. Because it, it's, you know, it's getting back to the dream thing we talked about. Like, it's not the things that happen in the dream that's the, or the important, it's how you feel about them. Exactly the same thing in video games. And you feel very different when you are the one doing the things and you you have to be able to do this you have to be able to suspend disbelief you have to be able to actually get into the game gamers and kids have no problem with this or like just like readers like it's just a bunch of printed words on a page but 
you know, you get into it and like all of a sudden you're there, you know, and you're lost in a book like that. Uh, imagine if you were making the story happen, kind of never ending story style. That's right. a video game. You are, ma- and obviously there is an overarching story and some games let you, you know, steer it in one direction or the other. Some have a predetermined ending, some have multiple endings, some are completely open-ended. But no matter what, no matter what the genre of game or, or how open or how close it is, playing the game is the important part and it's like a waste to unless you just want to know what happens at the end of a game right uh, or maybe if you've played lots of other games you can imagine what it'll be like playing the game but i can give you the world's crappiest game with the world's crappiest graphics and you can and if you play it you could be telling stories and having dreams about and recalling feelings of you playing that game years later and you watch that last of us thing that's not nothing's going to stick with you like it's not okay. because it's not as good as a good movie. Like watching someone play a game, it's right. not. It's okay, not as good well, as a I movie. mean, my my concern or my my note is that like I while I am super open to this, and I actually I could see myself getting a console in the next however long. And if we have a little bit of time today, I'd still love to talk a little bit about the Last Guardian. But I, I see myself doing that. But I I'm, I don't think I'm ever anytime soon gonna become like a super serious like gamer. You said that about comic books probably too at one point. Yeah, I guess, but I'm pretty good at reading. So like th- that I can grok and I like the pretty colors and stuff. But but I mean, you know, yeah, I, I, I guess I take your point, but we should come back to that. C- can we talk about Last Guardian for a minute? Sure. No, you tell bit. me. Oh, we, we got, we got uh, 12 minutes. Yeah, no, we can, although I think we'll, I'll save. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, 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 Destiny and, and these Last Guardian games we will talk more about in a future episode, but go ahead. Well, you know, then you, what do you want to talk about? No, I want, I want you to ask me what you want to ask about. I'm saying I have a lot to say about these guys. Okay. Well, I was watching Twitter. Well, I have so many questions about this because I was watching Twitter and everybody's freaking out and saying, oh my gosh, is John Syracuse okay? And I, I assume they're talking about the re-announcement. Help me understand what's going on with Last Guardian because I went and my daughter and I watched this video twice. We both got pretty excited watching it, honestly. And I mean, that creature is Trico? No, what's it called? Uh, we don't know the name of the creature, I don't think. Or at least if I knew it, I have since forgotten it. Um, tell me if you can, and I, I texted you about this last night because I went and watched it again, and I was like, it really, it's it, it's a, that little video, uh, I want to know more about it because it seemed kind of triumphant in ways that surprised me. Like, I was really amazed at how they had like this pretty passably CGI body on the kid with a not creepy face on it. Or it looked a almost C- like a Miyazaki CGI body. Yeah. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. No. All That's right. not so computer well, generated. Yeah. What's yeah. what's making it? You know, monkeys. Like how do they make it? All right. So uh, the quick summary of of the eco stuff. Okay. Uh, thank you. A game on the PlayStation Two, which was many many years ago. We're up to PlayStation Four now, and there's every. Oh, so this has already been a different game just a long time no, ago. No, just stay with me. There's a game on the PlayStation Two called Eco ICO, made by a team of developers called Team Eco led by a particular director whose name I'm not going to try to pronounce because it's Japanese, but uh, we'll put it in the show notes. Uh, It's an artsy-fartsy game. I loved it. I thought it was great. They made a second game also for the PlayStation 2 called Shadow of the Colossus, which was even more ambitious uh, that I also really loved. Um, The PlayStation 3 came out. They announced a game for the PlayStation 3 called The Last Guardian from the people who brought you Eco and Shadow of the Colossus, those two games that you loved. Like, I basically bought a PlayStation 3 only for those two games. 100% worth it, just for those two games. So this same team is going to make you a new game. It's called The Last Guardian. It's got this crazy bird cat thing in it. It's got a boy. Aren't you excited about it? That was 2009. (laughs) And since then, 
they showed some more trailers then it went away then you didn't know if it was going to come out then the, the trademark on the, the game expired then sony said that was actually a mistake and then the playstation 4 came out so the game that I, the game that i bought a playstation 3 for i bought a playstation 3 just to play the last guardian that was the sole purpose of me buying that machine what what you, you say 2009 2009 was the first trailer <laughs> right so really it's been six years since it was announced yes oh my and God. so now six years later uh, at E3, fi- this is the first appearance of this game in many, many years. After the director has left Sony to go off do his own thing, it's like, well, who's even left developing the game? The director left, he said, well, my work on this project is done. Uh, but, like, where's the game? Is there a date? Is it still alive? And Sony would be like, oh, yeah, no, the game is still alive, but then people didn't believe. There's other games that have been in similar dev hell situations, to use the uh, movie term, um, mm-hmm. where it's in development for a really long time, and it's not a good sign for movies, right? If a movie's in development for 20 years, like even things like AI or whatever, it's not usually not a good sign. It's like a bridge loan in uh, finance. You're like, well, that's not great. If you're like in turnaround or whatever, it's like, hmm. Yeah, and these games don't sell a lot because they are artsy-fartsy games, but the okay. people who love them, like me, really, really love them. And so now, E3 2015, they finally showed the game again. It really is coming out, in theory, uh, for the PlayStation 4. Like, Sony wants to recoup its investment because the team behind it is, a, is you know... Like, even though the director has left or parted ways with Sony or whatever, they're, I didn't think they would ever let this go because it has a built-in audience of people who are going to buy it, even if it's a small audience. Uh, they made more money by making PlayStation 3 remasters of the two PlayStation 2 games. I also bought the remasters, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, so they are you know, have a little bit of money to keep things going there. Uh, but yeah, now it's coming out in 2016. And so... Uh, not to throw cold water on the excitement on Twitter and everything, but I think the first two trailers for this game, or the first few things they showed in like 2009, are better than this gameplay trailer. And I'm hoping that after the director left, that that it doesn't become more conventional, because he's a weird guy, and his games are weird in a particular way, mm-hmm. and that gameplay footage was not weird in the same way that the previous trailers were, but it's, it's too early you think to it's, tell. You think it's mainly there to show progress? Like, this is still alive? Oh, but it's definitely still alive. Like they're going to make it. They're they're going to ship it. Okay, yeah, but I mean, like the idea is like it's showing, like, hey, look, here's proof. Like this is actually happening. Yeah, well, they they just want they're it's the first public showing of anything from the game in ages, right? So yes, this is a real game. It's on PlayStation Four. It looks a little bit different than last time, but I'm to me, it looks different in an artistic manner, not in a tech manner, than the previous ones. It's it's I'll. I have, could you, could you put was, like a couple notes in the document and maybe for show notes? Could you show like I, I, all I've seen is that one from whatever yesterday? Could you? Yeah, I'll show, I mean, it's easier. I, I have all the things open times. It's easier to do a teaser. You know, when you have a teaser for a movie, you don't need to really show anything. It just needs to be all about mood. It's easier to be arty when yeah. you do that. Gameplay footage is the hardest thing to be like, uh, you know, it's like the movie versus the teaser trailer. The, the trail, it's really easy to make an awesome tr- teaser trailer and trailer, like easier than making a movie that lives up to that trailer. Right. So in some respects, it's not fair to comp- compare five minutes of gameplay footage with the trailers. Uh, but it just looks a little bit off to me. Um, and so not that I'm disappointed. I'm 100% going to buy the game. I, I will play it. I'm sure I will enjoy it. I just worry, like, if it's like uh, Kubrick not doing AI, right? Uh it, could AI, AI could still have been a good movie with Spielberg, right? But it's very different than it would have been with Kubrick. And you're worried, like, oh, if, say Kubrick had done AI for the most part, but then left before the movie was done and said, well, my work on AI is basically done, and someone else finished it out for him. Oh, and by the way, they finished it out and they did it. They like reshot it in 4K or something, or you know, there's no real good equivalent here. But anyway, they're they're bringing this thing to the PlayStation Four. 
originally conceived and presumably substantially developed as a PlayStation 3 game, the director is gone. I'm concerned about the artistic direction a little bit. I'm not, you know, again, I don't want to be a bummer. No, right, right, right. But I mean, a, a, the director of a video game is not unlike the director of a film or like a showrunner for a TV show. It's yes, the, the creative yeah. head. Yeah, and, and it's not it's not uh, regimented as it is in other industries. Some people who are like, you know, the guy behind the game, how hands-on are they? Are they are they writing the whole game themselves, plotting it, doing everything about it, or are they just sort of nominally in charge of a game that's a sort of a group endeavor? Every dev team is different, mm-hmm. so it's not like... It, they're, they're not roles like a TV showrunner that have formed to sort of like everyone knows what that is. Every quote-unquote director of a game works a little bit differently, but... Uh, the guy behind Eco and Shadow of the Colossus had, it was like Kubrick, it had a very strong artistic hand. Like you could see in all of the games that he made, not that there were many of them, mm-hmm. that a clear voice was coming through. You would know a game that was, you know, like like Wes Anderson, you know what I mean? Like, as opposed to even someone like Steven Spielberg, who has a style or whatever, but Wes Anderson, like, oh, that's a Wes Anderson movie. I can see that from a mile away. Yeah, right? Well, like, you know, like like you said, like, like Charlie Kaufman, like somebody who, or Spike Jones, somebody where you go like, oh, I, I recognize that. Yeah, and so that's yeah, I'm hoping a little bit of that isn't lost. But anyway, it's exciting. I I never stopped believing. So all the people are like, oh, you must be so happy. I always knew the game. But I knew they were like financially, like why would they ever get rid of it? It would, mm-hmm. you know, they right. were going to make a game with this name. It was going to come out. Uh, they'd put too much effort into it. Uh, there's a built-in audience for it. I'm certainly going to buy it. I'll I'll probably just keep buying it. And Journey is coming out with a PS4 port as well. Probably for your uh, video game thing, maybe what I'm probably working you up to is to play Journey, which is a game that only takes two hours to play and has a very low skill barrier, but you're not close to ready for that. So don't even look at it. Okay. Don't read anything about it. Don't do anything. Yeah, okay. So uh, well, can, we, uh, is it a, can we pick up on video games next time? We will. Or, or we can, you know, do something else and circle back to it, but there's there's much more to go. On <laughs> oh, no, games. no, no. There's so much more. I, I like. I can't even tell you... Uh, how many questions I have. I have? I have so many questions. I should give you some form of homework. I'm not quite sure what... You should build something in Minecraft and take a screenshot of it and put it in the show notes of either this show or the next Can one. I have my daughter do it for me? No, you can't. Can you I, have can to I, actually can do it yourself. Can I take somebody else's don't, let, don't have her help you. Just wait till she's asleep. Pick All up right. the iPad, have a plan, and execute it. Okay. And be ambitious. Don't make like a cube. <laughs> <laughs> all right i'll do it and so I'll, I, sh- I should avoid all of these uh all these uh videos of video games you should because it's really missing the point it's 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 kind of like uh reading the script to a movie you remember how you asked me i shouldn't say this you remember how you asked me about like whether my daughter is actually beating me at chess mm-hmm. okay well here's the problem right now um we got a wii u from uh, a friend of mine for for christmas and we dove in with both feet I had added the what I had added to my Amazon wish list was the Wii U with Mario Kart. And like we both immediately got super into it. Like I'm not good at video games, but I was like slightly better than her at it and like she kind of won't have it. So like now neither of us is playing it. It just sits there because she doesn't like it unless she like has like a, she feels like she has a fair chance. She thinks it it's unfair. So I was even like, "You know what? Pick a dumb car. Have me play as a monkey. I don't care. Give me dumb tires." I'd like <laughs> like you get to pick. You know like you you know one picks one slices and one picks. Like you make me the dumbest Mario Kart in the world. But I'm never going to not play as well as I can cuz that wouldn't be cool. But that's that's <laughs> part of the problem is that she doesn't want to play with me and like I'm like, "Well, this is kind of the whole reason we play video games. It's like this is why we have sports. This is why we do these things to like be okay with you know, winning and losing and just playing. So that's part of the challenge with the video games from our house, just to be candid. 
Yeah, well, that's a competitive thing. And then the games don't, you know, again, there's cooperative games, there's single player games. Uh, competitive games are difficult for kids because, yeah, like you said, they don't want to lose. Um, or they feel intimidated where they're competing and then their lack of skills on display is highlighted by the fact that you came in before them. Yeah, and so maybe maybe one thing we can do, I will work on, I will try to come up with a plan for something. I will finish watching Fight Club. I will take my sleeping pill. I will watch the wrestling video. And then maybe we can slowly work into a regimen, like over time, Gosh, I hope you do this for more than 10 episodes. Maybe we'll work into a regimen where over time you could have me moving in a direction where, you know, maybe by what, the spring of 2016, I can be playing video games. Yeah. I mean, who knows? You could even play Last Guardian depending on how hard they make it. Wow, I like that. I like well, that little what, what, what I'm really trying to work up to in this run of episodes is I want to explain Destiny to you and have you understand what the hell is going on. So it's a first person shooter? So much more. <laughs> <laughs> it's more of a lifestyle, really. <laughs> 